0: really cool thing happened a couple weeks ago at our Marietta campus. We are a church of two locations and our Marietta campus is about maybe 20 minutes from here drive time. It's over off All Good Road, not too far from the Big Chicken if you've never been to that campus. But uh, they're on their campus. They have Sunday morning services like we have here. They're meeting right now uh, in service. But they also have a Wednesday night worship time uh, and service there. The facility allows for that obviously and that's a part of their strategy. So they have a Wednesday night service and They have things for children and things for students, and they have some different opportunities for life groups to meet together, and one of the things that they have is they just have a general kind of worship service together for those that maybe aren't uh, in a life group at that point, or they're in a transition between groups, or their groups haven't started back and things like that, and so they, they gather together, and about three weeks ago, there was a man who attends that campus. His name is Alex, and he walked in with a friend of his, a lady that uh, that he knew her and her husband, but just, just the lady was with him that day, and she was from Iran. And uh, she came in that night, and later we learned a little more about her story, but uh, she grew up, she was born and raised uh, Muslim. When she was in Iran, up until just the last few years, she would go to her mosque, and she would even go to some different mosques, because every time that she would leave, she out of her own words described it as just feeling depressed and very kind of sad and heavy. And so before she left Iran, she she really started to visit in secret some churches. And she described those experiences as something uplifting she described those experiences as something that brought her joy in her life, but they were brief moments because then she would get back into the ritual of her, of her Islam, and so she would kind of lose maybe that joy and that sense that she had. And so she moved to the States with her husband a few years ago, and Alex, the member of our Marietta campus, invited them to come to church with him a few Wednesday nights ago. Her husband did not join her, but he encouraged her to go ahead and go if she wanted to, and so she came with Alex that night. And Pastor Mark Walker, who's our senior pastor at both of our campuses, he was teaching a few Wednesday nights ago in that worship time, and he was speaking on the subject of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and he talked about the Holy Spirit drawing us to salvation. And that was just a part of the notes that he had, a part of the teaching. It wasn't even the main focus of the teaching related to the kind of the full-scale approach of the Holy Spirit, at least in his teaching that, that evening. But he referenced this idea that the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. And at the end of the time that night, Alex brought this woman up to Pastor Mark. And she said to him, she said, I want to pray and ask Jesus into my heart. I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing me to salvation. Pastor Mark prayed with her and prayed a prayer of salvation with her and there was a, just a, an incredible joyful experience and so she walked out of the church with Alex and she goes out in the parking lot and her husband is there to pick her up to take her home and when she sees him she runs across the parking lot and she jumps into his arms and she begins to cry and she says to her husband I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior tonight and he, he doesn't really know how to respond, and you know, he does what a lot of husbands do. He just, oh, that's, that's great. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what he was supposed to say there. He wasn't really sure how he felt maybe. And so they go home. And a few days later, Alex followed up with them. And he followed up with the husband who I think he does some business with. And, you know, he said, how, how is your wife doing after the service the other night? And he said, I'll tell you. He said, I have never known her in all of the years that we've been together. I've never known her to be this at peace, this joyful, I've never known her to have this much excitement about life in general. Now, I tell you that story today because I want you to know that salvation and personal evangelism and invitations to church still work, they still matter. Now, it's no hidden formula, and, and I realize that there's a lot of things that you could talk about in a conversation or a message about salvation or evangelism or um, the Great Commission, but all of that started in the heart of a woman halfway around the world where she was experiencing an emotion. She was experiencing something that she couldn't quite put her finger on, but she knew that the religious system that she was a part of or the, the the way that she was living her life was not giving her the experience in life that she was wanting to have. And so we believe that the Holy Spirit began working in her heart and in her life. And then As she transitions and moves along with her husband, along with her family to the United States, there's an interaction, there's a relationship built with Alex and this couple. And then we see that Alex did what is very uncomfortable to a lot of us, myself included sometimes. He did the invitation. He invited her to come to a worship experience. Now, I don't know if Alex would have felt comfortable if she would have said, well, would you just lead me to the Lord right now when they were on the way to church or when they were interacting in business a day or two before Maybe he would have, and maybe some of us would have, or maybe some of us aren't comfortable in that way, but Alex invited her to come to church, and in that corporate gathering with other people, those that were believers and those that were not, she experienced something in the presence of God where she said, no, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is drawing me to salvation. I believe that in this moment, the, the perfect connection is happening here between the timing of God in my life, the message that I'm hearing, and my receptivity to the gospel. And it's, it's a really exciting thing. Both of our campuses operate under a mission statement or a vision strategy of helping people live a Christ-centered life. We believe that drives what we do and why we do it. Helping people live a Christ-centered life. And we really think that there's four facets of that Christ-centered life that we focus on. There are probably others, but when we look at the life of Christ and we look at Christ-centered lives, we see four things that really emerge One of those is loving God. Obviously, Christ and a Christ-centered life would be about loving God. We believe that we do that through the spiritual practices, which means we're just reading God's word, we're praying, we're spending time talking to God in corporate settings, we're worshiping God, we're seeing that God loves us and we're responding in tangible ways to him. The second thing that we believe is involved in that is making friends. It's not just about having arbitrary relationships and someone we can go to the movies with, but it's about having these deeper connections with other people that says, hey, I'm doing life with you and you're doing life with me. We care about one another on a soul level. Now that doesn't happen day one. It doesn't happen the moment you sign up for a life group and you show up with your potluck and somebody else brought a potluck and you're sitting around and you just open up and bare your soul. That doesn't happen in the first meeting or the first few weeks or the first few Months even. But when it says, hey, I'm committed to making friends, I'm committed to being in relationship with other people on a soul level, then I believe that's a part of helping develop that Christ centered life. The third facet of that is serving others. And Pastor Mark talked a little bit about this idea last week. When he talked about this idea of finding our purpose in life, and that's really to serve the needs of others and to bring glory to God. And what we say about serving others in the church is that you know, there's a place for you to contribute to God's work. We were talking with our volunteers this morning who come in every Sunday morning on a rotation. They serve about every third week or so. And they create these environments. Now, you know, it may not be much to look at for you, but what we're trying to do is create these distractionless environments to say, hey, we want to engage the presence of God. And so they come and they set up lights and screens and projectors and they put up pipe and drape and tables for you to check your kids in and get new information. And they shuttle you in with umbrellas and they get you under a tent and they do all kinds of things because they are serving. They say, hey, my life is more than just about me. And coming to church is more than just about consuming something, it's about contributing something. And so we believe that serving others is a part of living that Christ-centered life. But the fourth facet of a Christ-centered life is what we call sharing the story. Sharing the story is maybe, maybe a, a phrase, and I've used it already this morning, that you're a little more comfortable with, is just personal evangelism. It's the idea that what we say is that every person has a Jesus story. And if you don't have a Jesus story, you're a Jesus story in the making. You know, Alex had a Jesus story. He encountered the living God at some point in his past a a few years back. And so he had this idea that God was doing something in his heart and in his life. Now, this lady that came to our Marietta campus a few weeks ago, maybe she would not have classified it before that Wednesday night as a Jesus story, but it was that Jesus story in the making. It's the idea that Jesus was already working in her heart, working in her life, and there came a moment where her life intersected with the gospel in such a way that she responded and said, yes, I need him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And so today, as we conclude this centered sermon series that we've been on for the last four weeks... I want us to talk about centered in mission. I want us to talk about this idea that if we are centered in mission, if we've realized that we, that God loves us and we respond to that love, if we've realized that we need to be connected to people on a soul level through making friends, if we've realized that we're we're trying to find our purpose of really serving the needs of others and bringing glory to God, and we do all those things, I still think that there's something that we're called to do, and it's really about the mission of God, the mission that He has given to us. And so, if we talk about our mission, what is our mission? Now, the Great Commission is the place that we often turn to when we look at this because this is the place right before Jesus left the earth that he gave us a command. He gave his disciples this idea of what they should be about. And it's in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, I love the implication of the movement, the motion, the activity that exists here because it's talking about go, make, baptize, and teach. There's not a lot of room for passive following of Jesus Christ here when we see the commission, the mission that Jesus sends us on. He says, go make, baptize, and teach. He he doesn't allow us just to kind of stay still and to stay stagnant and not be involved in the mission. He doesn't even really give a disclaimer like, hey, only do this if you've attended church this long, or only do this if you followed Jesus for this long. He says, No. Go therefore into all the nations, all the worlds, all the people groups, and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything that I've taught you. And so this idea that he calls us to a mission. And so I want us to spend the rest of our time today in the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible, you can flip with me to Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, it's gonna be up on the screen and you can follow along there. You can grab a smartphone or device that you have and kind of follow along on a Bible app. But Acts chapter 17 is one of, and it's, it's really becoming one of, if not my favorite story in all of scripture. I've read it hundreds of times, as have many of you. As you get into this story, you're gonna realize you've heard this before, or maybe some of the story before. But man, as I've been reading this story over the last year, it has just come alive in my heart and in my life to really understand what I believe is a little bit of a misdirection about the way that we live out the mission of God. So if you got a Bible, flip with me. Acts 17, we're gonna begin reading in verse 16 says this now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols now we'll stop right here and we'll read a few verses and we'll talk but I want to set up some context here Athens is probably at this point in history the most pluralistic society the most pluralistic city the most pluralistic place in all of the the known world and what I mean by pluralistic is I mean it, it really mimics our day here it mimics our time now where whatever you believe is fine You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe. You can't tell me that what I believe is wrong because you don't know, you're not on the same faith journey I'm on, the same walk that I'm on, and so you can't tell me that I'm wrong. I'm pursuing happiness or faith or or purpose or meaning in this way, and I'm pursuing knowledge over here, and you pursue it over here, and you do whatever you want to do. And that Athens is kind of the first place or, or mo- the most predominant place that we see that kind of thought begin to come into the known world at that, at that time. And so what we read here is that Paul, as he's waiting for a group of people, which we could read about if we continue to read in the book of Acts, as he's waiting there, his spirit was provoked and he saw that the city was full of idols. Now these idols, and you know, maybe this is a foreign idea for you, but these are just things that people had created to cast their worship towards. The the thing that we just talked about a little bit, how they were spending their breath, how they were spending their worship, how they were spending their life, who they would pray to, what they would pray to when they needed something specific. And so he saw that the city of Athens was full of idols. Nothing was off limits. Everything held equal significance and equal value. No idol, no God, no thing was any more kind of worthy of praise than any other. They were all on equal footing. And so he walked around and he saw this And he saw and and, and observed. That that, that original word there that, if you go back to the original language of this passage, it really means this idea that he surveyed, he viewed intently, or he discerned. Discern is really trying to determine meaning from looking at or or observing something that's going on there. So the the idea that he saw that the city, it wasn't just that he opened his eyes and he saw that there was something there. It was on that spiritual level where he discerns, he surveys, he really gets involved and engaged in what's happening on a spiritual level. Level in this city. So as he's looking around, he sees that there's something happening here. So before he spoke, he hasn't said a word yet. He surveyed. He just looked around again, not just with his eyes, but with his heart, with his soul. I believe there might have been a moment where he was saying, "God, help me to help me to know what to say. Like if I'm going to speak in a minute, like help me to know what to say. Help me to know how to really set up the message here. Because what he did is he educated himself on the spiritual and social context." of the group that he was about to communicate to. He, he, he observed, he discerned. So he didn't just walk in with a single you know, message and method. He was willing to adapt the method and keep the message the same. And I think sometimes in the church, we get scared of that. Sometimes we feel like that if we change our methodology, that somehow we're changing the message of the gospel. Our message is timeless, but methods change all the time. Like if you've been around the church very long, there are things that you experience today that you didn't used to experience in church or it's a little bit of a, a morphing of something that you used to experience. I grew up in church and uh, th- there's a lot of different things now in church world, but it doesn't change the message of the gospel. And so what Paul did here is he says, okay, I got to understand the context with which I'm about to deliver this message and he doesn't diminish the message in any way, he just couches it in a way that helped him to understand how to deliver that message. Now, for you and I today, we could do that a lot of ways. We could do that through research. We could do some demographic studies and understand our city and our culture and our county. We could understand the groups of people and the types of people and what they're struggling with and what they're worried about and the things in their life that they're pursuing. I think there's a little more organic way to do that I just would say, you know, you just go to kids' birthday parties. You don't just show up unannounced. Like, you go with an invitation for your own child maybe to be in attendance at that party. If you show up, you probably go to jail. And so, you know, go and and just visit the park and go sit in the mall. Like, just be a people watcher. Like, just kind of observe what's going on around you. Just sit at lunch. Sit in the break room in your office and just listen to the conversations that are taking place around you. You're observing, you're doing what Paul did as he saw that the city was full of idols. You are discerning what is going on around you so that you know how to deliver the message. Let's continue reading in verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned with them. Now, that's an interesting word, and if you drop back, and I'm not going to do this for every word that we're going to read today, but if you drop back to the original language there for that word, it's to think different things with oneself, mingle thought with thought, to ponder or revolve in our mind, to converse, discourse with one, argue or discuss. It doesn't say here, and we're going to see where he gets to it in a minute, so this is making the Christians in the room a little uncomfortable. It doesn't say that he preached yet. It says that he reasoned with them. He talked to them a little bit. We're gonna talk about the context again in just a minute, but he goes into their setting and he allows them to talk just like he was gonna talk. He listens to what they had to say just as much as he wants them to listen to what he is saying to them. He reasoned with them. He is listening to the voices around him, not so much that it changes his message, but that it helps him to understand the best approach, the best method when he begins to deliver the gospel message, which we're about to get to. So he hasn't even laid out the gospel. He's just talking to them. He's just talking to people. He's not being weird. He's not being a crazy person. He's just talking to people in a normal fashion. He's being a regular human being, which some Christians have no ability to do. He's just being a normal person in conversation with other people. Let's keep reading in verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Which some of you are saying about me right now. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. Now, here's what, hey, let me just kind of set the stage here a little bit. The Eropagus is the place where they would stand around and talk about all these new things. It's the water cooler at work. It's Facebook, really. It's, it's all the links that we post on Facebook to all the different news articles and have you heard this and have you heard that, like all the things we used to eat, you can't eat those anymore, they'll kill you. All the things that we used to do, you can't do those anymore, they'll kill you. Like, and, and if you just read those things, you're like, wow, these are all new ideas. I never knew that we got it so wrong back there, way back when, when we were so uninformed. But thanks to Facebook, we're more informed now. And so what happened is they, they listened to him and they had questions. They didn't just say, wow, this guy is amazing. They said, who is this babbler? Like, what's he even talking about? But they go, you know what? This is a new thought. This is a new idea. So we're gonna welcome him into our place of exchanging ideas. Someone, they sent him a friend request, is really what they did. They said, hey, we want you to come in and be a part of the conversation. So they bring him to the Europagus, and they said, hey, we want you to start talking about some of these things because the things that you're saying are strange to us. They're new to our ears, and we want to make sure that we understand what's happening. And here's what I want you to know in present day. Even in a pluralistic society, the gospel message still pricks hearts. Like, even as he's having conversation, even as he's beginning to lay out a little bit of who he is, because they they knew that they thought he was a preacher of foreign divinities because they said, he's, he's talking about Jesus, And he's talking about the resurrection. There's something about the the words that are coming out of his mouth that while it may be offensive to some, they already called him a babbler. While some may turn him off and just kind of shun him. In a pluralistic society, that's still going to break through darkness and engage the hearts of people who are searching for that purpose and that meaning and that faith journey that they say, hey, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. When they hear your thing, I believe that when the Holy Spirit's at work in their heart and in their life, they're gonna go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me some more about that. Like, come and tell my friends that. Like, oh, I'm going to send you a friend request. Like, we're going to engage in community in some way because even in a pluralistic society, people are drawn to the gospel. Now, here's an important fact. And again, I'm preaching against Christians as much as anything today. And so please forgive me. But here, here's what I think it's important for us. to know. It is not our job to convince them. Man, it's quiet right now. It is not our job to convince them, and here's what I mean by that. If I can convince you to follow Jesus, somebody else that's better than me can unconvince you to follow Jesus. It's not my job to convince you. It's no one's job to convince you. We believe that it's the Holy Spirit's job to transform you. We believe that it's God's work in our heart that changes you. Now, that means that I've got to engage in conversation, It means that I've got to be willing to get into some messy conversations and some messy relationships, but I don't believe that I am, as a Christian, called to convince you of anything. I believe I'm supposed to open up God's word and say, this is what I believe. This is who I was before Jesus. This is what Jesus did in me, and this is who I am after Jesus came into my heart, into my life and allow God to do the work in them because even in a pluralistic society, people will be drawn to the gospel. Let's keep reading in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He is referencing what he observed, what he saw back there in verse 16. I perceive that in every way you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God what therefore you worship as unknown this i proclaim to you this is so smart like this is this is paul right here like just making me jealous like i wish i had this ability with words he said oh hey listen here's what i saw here's what i observed i see all these objects of your worship but there's one over there that says the unknown god and what you therefore worship i am here to proclaim You, what you therefore have questions about, I'm here to help you understand better because he's in a context where they want to hear new things, he's in a context where they want to know new ideas. And so he says, Hey, you're right there on the cusp, you are so close. There are a lot of people in your life, I mean, they're pursuing faith in some way, they're pursuing answers in some way, they're just not pursuing Jesus, and so they're just right there. And so you you don't have to say, Hey, you're wrong, you're 100% wrong because it's Jesus or nothing, you just say, Hey, you're so close. You know what you've been pursuing? You know the answers that you were looking for? You know the things that you were desiring in your heart? Jesus is that. Like that's uh -uh, what you therefore are in search of. I'm here to proclaim. This is what Paul is saying right here. And here's the thing. He gets into their setting to do it. A lot of people, and again, I'll say Christian, a lot of Christians love to shout from outside. And what Paul does is has a conversation from the inside. Like, like I don't, I don't think that we are called to scream from the outside because now we're just an outsider and we're just one of the voices that they're going to tune out. But I think that we're called in. We're invited in. And when they invite us in, we have conversation around the things that they are already pursuing and relate it back to the gospel. That is how Paul took the words of the gospel and made it relevant to their lives. I'm not talking about compromising the gospel message. I'm talking about being like discerning in our methods. I'm talking about just asking the Lord to help you to know how to present the gospel, how to have conversation. Because if it's about winning an argument, if it's about convincing them, I think we're wrong every single time. I ran across this tweet a few months back and it says this. This is from the the Twitter handle Crazy Love, which I'm sure is based on the book by Francis Chan, but this is what it says. The one who wins the argument is usually the one who acts less like Christ. If it's your job to win the argument in an attempt to win somebody to the Lord, I think most of the times we get off track there. Again, I'm not talking about compromising the message. I'm talking about our methodology to engage people with the message of the gospel. And then Paul lays it out there then paul just presents the gospel and he unpacks who jesus is and what they're searching for and he lays it out there and then listen to this in verse 32 we're jumping ahead now because he lays the gospel out. here's what it says in verse 32 after he's done now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked him but others said we will hear you again about this so paul went out from their midst But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, it's interesting that not everyone who heard Paul believed. Not everybody who heard the way he laid out the gospel would turn to God on that day. When we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 were added to the church that day, I mean, that's an unbelievable number, but we have no idea how many total people were there and how many didn't believe, even when they saw those that came out of the upper room and began to speak in tongues and speak in the known languages of the world of all the people that were on the streets there. Some people, we have to believe, heard that, saw that, and still didn't believe. Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I became all things to all people, that I might reach all of them. Is that what he said? No, no, no. He said, I became all things to all people that I might reach some. Paul had an understanding that not everyone who hears the gospel will respond to the gospel in the same conversation. Later on, we read in the New Testament that some plant the seed and some water and some reap the harvest. It may be that Paul understood that sometimes his job was to reap the harvest, And sometimes his job was just to plant the seed. Sometimes someone else prior to him being in someone's life had planted the seed and it was just his job to water. It was just his job to have more spiritual conversation. Just give them more things to think about. Just engage them on the level where they were at so that they had more things to really pursue and chase after so that the Holy Spirit could continue to work in their heart and in their life. We have to maintain perspective as it relates to the mission of God. And I'm not talking about lowering the bar, but I'm talking about understanding our role. And we have to set realistic expectations about what our role is in the salvation of the people that we know. In that go and make disciples, not everyone that you know and not every person that you engage with the gospel will become a disciple as a result of the conversation that you have, but they may down the road. And you're just as much a part of that as the one who really gets to reap the harvest. I saw this last night. This wasn't in my notes until late last night, but I saw this again on Twitter. It says this, you cannot save people. You can just love them. You and I cannot save people. And what I mean by save is that salvation idea that we talk about from Scripture. You and I can't save people. We can just love them. And if you and I understand our role, but we don't kind of push away our calling, we don't push away our mission, but we fully engage our mission... We fully understand that we play a role. We just may not reap the harvest. We may not score the touchdown, but we put up a good block. We may not kick the winning field goal, but we're the guy that snapped the ball. We may not hit the home run, but we threw batting practice three or four hours before. Like we have a role, but it may not be the primary role in that person receiving Christ. Because what we see here is that there were three responses when Paul delivers the gospel. There are three responses that people give, people had when Paul lays out the gospel message and we just read them, but some of them mocked him and walked away. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, when they heard about Jesus, some of them mocked him and walked away and just, let me just kind of help you here, that's gonna happen. People are gonna make fun of you, they're gonna mock you, they're gonna unfriend you, they're gonna quit like hanging out with you. Like, it, it, there's gonna be people that do not respond the way that you want them to respond. That was one of the responses that Paul saw. The second thing that you're gonna see potentially is that some join, some believe. Paul saw that. He lays this out there and some people believed and they joined up with the cause there, the the followers of the way. And then the third thing is that others said, we will hear you again about this. I don't know that I'd ever read that until just a few months ago, but in verse 32 it said, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead and some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. To me, Secondary to conversion, that's a win in any spiritual conversation we have with an unbeliever. Secondary to conversion, if someone believes, someone becomes a Christian because of the conversation that we're having. It's not because of us. We believe it's because of the the, the timing of God and the work that's already been done in their heart and the situation that they find themselves in. Secondary to that, if they become converted, that's awesome. That's a win. They believe they're saved. They believe in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That's a win secondary to that, I think this is the win. And I don't know that I ever really understood this. I thought it was like they got saved or I was a failure, right? Nobody ever thought that but me. That's fine. I just thought that. It's like, okay, I am not Billy Graham, so I am nothing, right? That's kind of how I felt. And here's what I read in verse 32 of Acts 17. Paul, who's a genius he says, hey, hey oh, I see oh, I observe all these things that you've seen. I observed all these idols of your worship. Man, that's incredible. I'm here to explain to you about the one that you don't know about. Like that, therefore, which you worship, I'm here to proclaim. I mean, that's incredible. And he's a, a, an amazing person with words. He laid out in their own pagan poets, like how that connects to the gospel. It was unbelievable. It's, it's an, I encourage you to read this whole chapter. It's amazing. Guess what? Some people mocked him and walked away. Some people joined and believed. And then there was a group of people that said, "You know what? We're going to hear more about this later. Like, can we can we meet up at Taco Bell later? I'm like, I'm, I don't know if they had Taco Bell then, but they should have. Can we, can we go to Burger King? Like, is is it Mexican Thursday this week? Can we have, go to the Mexican buffet? Like, can we just talk about this? I'm getting hungry. That's why I keep referencing food. My blood sugar's dipping a little bit or something. But can we can we can we talk about this a little more later? Can like, are you open to a continual conversation about things that are related to God and Christianity and faith? Or is it just a one-off? Like, do you only want to have a conversation with me if it ends in a prayer of conversion and salvation? Or, or is it okay if we just continue to talk about this? Am I willing to trust that God is the one who saves people? And that God is the one who does the work in hearts and lives. And am I willing to play a role? Am I willing to be the seed planter? Am am I willing to be the waterer? Or do I only want to be the reaper of the harvest? I I think our mission is not a one-time conversation to lead someone in a one-time conversion prayer. Our mission is engaging people where they are in the most authentic way we can with the character and message of God that creates an opening for them to respond now or in the future. Our mission is not a one-time conversation to lead someone in a one-time conversion prayer. Our mission is engaging people where they are in the most authentic way we can with the character and message of God that creates an opening for them to respond now or in the future. We believe that every person has a Jesus story. And if you don't have a Jesus story, you're a Jesus story in the making. We want to share the story. It doesn't have to be three steps or eight steps. It it doesn't even really have to be littered with you being able to quote tons and tons and tons of scripture. I mean, I think having references is great. But I think in the most authentic way you can If you just said hey here's who I was before Jesus And here's what Jesus did in me And here's who I am after Jesus I think that's real I think that's on mission I think if you just say you know I I wasn't a dirty rotten terrible person maybe If this is your story But there is that sense of peace and joy in my life now Because I have purpose and meaning. Because I'm pursuing God. Not some random thing of faith or journey or meaning. I'm pursuing a relationship with the one that breathed breath into my lungs, with the one that knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, I want to know him more. Our, Our mission is not to have a one time conversation with someone to. Have them pray this one-time conversion prayer. I think it's an ongoing conversation with people where sometimes we're planting and sometimes we're watering and sometimes we're reaping because we're saying, what's going on in your life? Like, what can I observe about you? What are the idols of your worship? Like, where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? What things do you love? What things do you enjoy? They're not all sinful. How can we relate those things back to the gospel? Yeah, I did those things. I was that person. I spent my time there. I spent my money over there. I I treated my family that way. I betrayed trust in that way. I I was pursuing some of those same things. I I was missing out on joy in that way. I was missing out on purpose in that way. I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I met Jesus. And it wasn't a one time prayer. Man, I'm still in the midst of this journey, I'm still walking this road. Like I still, I still don't get it right every day, but I'm still just walking with him and he's healing my heart and he's helping my pain and he's answering my questions and he's calming my fears, shaping my life. He's giving me purpose. He's giving me joy. That's a mission conversation. It's a mission conversation. As authentically as I can, engaging people where they are and reflecting the character and nature and message of God to create openings where they can respond to the gospel. Now or in the future. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. If God's at work in the heart and life of someone else in your life, And three months from now, or a year from now, or 10 years from now, that's the moment that they turn their heart to God. That's the moment that the Holy Spirit just pricks their heart and something that was done or something that was said, or a moment that they're walking through where they're just looking for something and they find God, would they be more likely or less likely to trust him because they know you? Would they be more likely or less likely to respond to the gospel And become a Christian if the only or one of the Christians that they know is you. What they go, I I I don't, like, I know that guy. And if that's what I'm signing up for, I'm out. (laughs) And I wasn't pointing to any guy over here, right? You guys know that? One finger pointed that way, four back at me. All right, so, is it like, I want to be on mission? And I want to plant seed and I want to water and I want to reap. I want to go and I want to make disciples and I want to baptize and I want to teach them all the things that I've been commanded. As authentically as I can, I want to engage them where they are, reflecting the nature and character and message of God in such a way that it creates openings for them to respond now or in the future. Let's pray. God, I I thank you so much that you gave us a mission. That We're not left on our own trying to figure out what it is that we're supposed to do here on earth for you. God, I pray today that you would help us to realize that the great commission to go into all the world, which includes here, And to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to teach them all that you have commanded. That's what we're called to. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to. Don't let us push that aside. Don't let us get off mission. Don't let us think that that's the preacher's job or someone else's job that's been following you a little longer. That's our job, corporately and individually. God, I pray today that you would help us to live on mission. For those of us that are not a believer in this room, I believe that we're a Jesus story in the making. That may be offensive to some of them. But God, I I want them to know that this is a place that they can belong before they believe. This is a place that they can come and seek answers and engage in community. And they can find purpose and they can find meaning. And they can experience all the things that we create in these moments as we pursue you. But they can belong here before they believe. But God, as that Jesus story in the making transforms their hearts and their lives, I pray that it wouldn't be a one-time conversion prayer, but God, that it would be a life of following you and getting on mission. Help us to understand our role Help us to be comfortable planting or watering or reaping. God, let us know that some will mock and walk away. Let us know that some will join and believe. But God, let us make sure that for those who don't believe, they say, yeah, I want to talk to you more about this. Help us, God, to authentically engage people where they are, reflecting the nature and character and words of God, creating openings for them to respond now or in the future. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.